0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, In the Arena, by Isabel Kuhn, with permission of OMF International, and we are reading Chapter 4, Cross Nature. Now that you have read the wonderful things the Lord did for me, I fear at least some of you might casually think that I myself have been a wonderful Christian to be worthy of such blessings. I must hasten to correct this easy error. I was not a wonderful Christian, but very much of the earth, earthly. God's blessings are not reserved for those who are worthy. They are lavishly poured out on the very unworthy ones, upon those who in their innermost souls are reaching out for him. I have pondered the affairs of two men, David and Anethephal. Once they were close, dear friends, Anethephal's counsel was so wise. It was like the oracles of God. They went to the house of God together to worship, and then David sinned. Bathsheba was Anethephal's granddaughter. Oh, what horrible sin, adultery, and then the murder of Uriah. No wonder Anathophel was estranged in anger. Either of those sins would have scandalized him, let alone both. Surely God will bless Anathophel and not David. But look beneath the surface. When the prophet Nathan faced David, David repented immediately. I have sinned, he cried. And from then on, groaning under the punishments which his sins sent him, David still reached out in broken-heartedness, repentance to the Lord. Do not cast me from your presence, he cried. In Psalm 51.11 Anathophel, he became the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He refused to open his heart to God's grace of forgiveness, so his heart became filled with a cold fury. He who despised David's adultery counseled the same sin to David's son. He who had furiously criticized David for taking Uriah's life ended up taking his own so man proves that he is really no better than the sinner he is so quick to condemn and whom he refuses to forgive if anethophil had allowed god to melt his heart in forgiveness the day would have come when anethophil would have seen solomon son of his granddaughter bathsheba upon the throne of david and that great-grandson looking at it from the merely human viewpoint inherited anethophil's own wisdom god bless the sinner who opened his heart to correction, and God's blessing was lost to the sinner who closed his heart to the pleadings of grace and refused to forgive. We do not receive his blessings then because we deserve them, but only when we obey his tender injunction. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. I had a greedily wide mouth, but if it had been wider, I might have received more. In October nineteen twenty eight, when I sailed for China, there were eight or ten of us young women who sailed together. On that ship was Miss Ruth Paxton and Miss Ethel Davis also going to China. Miss Paxton's book Life on the Highest Plane was then in manuscript form and she kindly consented to give us girls an hour's Bible teaching each day while the trip lasted. Those were memorable hours. One sentence I will never forget standing in front of an experienced missionary she looked into our faces searchingly and said girls when you get to china all the scum of your nature will rise to the top i was shocked scum was that not a strong word all of us were nice girls were we not scum a bit of an exaggeration surely so i was totally unprepared for the revolt of the flesh which was waiting for me on the china shores The day was to come when, on my knees in God's presence, I had to say, Lord, scum is the only word to describe me. I went to China eager and hopeful to be a soul winner. I was ridiculously, pathetically unprepared for the cost. It is true that I had expected poverty and even tried to discipline myself for it. While school teaching, I had chosen a boarding school that had a drab and plain with no rugs or carpets. Fond of chocolates, I decided not to buy any candy for a year at least. This puny self-discipline makes me laugh now, and makes me wonder how I could have been so unprepared for the ordinary missionary hardship. I do not know, but it was so. The China Inland Mission, true to its name, reached out to the unworked interior of that great land, where by far the great majority of unevangelized Chinese were country peasants poor people who toil and labor in mud pits and know nothing of the luxuries of hot baths with soap or frequent changes of clean clothing. I had to learn that it costs money to be clean, and I'd always taken cleanliness for granted, just like sunshine. And so after a happy time at language school, I found myself on a country station in a farming district with thousands of Chinese peasants in all directions who had never been told that the death of Christ was for their salvation. What a wonderful opportunity. In spirit, I reached out eagerly towards them, and then the flesh revolted. As in all eastern lands, and among our own poor also, those toiling people had vermin on their persons, in their homes and in the dust of their mud floors. Fleas jumped on me from those floors and nibbled joyfully. There were some people whose insects are slow to attack. Others, like myself, seemed to be open invitation to come and feast. Sitting close to a country woman, I was likely to carry away a louse. And when asked to spend the night in these homes, bedbugs walked out in regiments upon me, not to speak of the Air Force, of flies and mosquitoes. Their customs were different. They had no plumbing in their homes, so dogs acted as scavengers. My first experience of one particular custom so revolted me that I could not eat my breakfast and had to start a long journey with an empty stomach. The food of the Chinese poor is different from that of the middle classes, and I did not find it palatable at first. The story of how I learned to eat bean curd is a family joke now. My husband says with eyes twinkling, you have to cry first and then you learn to enjoy it. And the lack of privacy. I always had room to myself at home and unconsciously was fond of being by myself. A student notion, I suppose. To be thronged with people hour after hour exhausted me emotionally. And of course, a woman cannot bathe without some kind of privacy. The constant traveling, too, was a source of irritation. I never did like change, and I liked to be well-rooted into one comfortable spot and stay there. So the flesh was offended on every hand, and it revolted. My husband did not seem to mind these things, so I put it down to different dispositions. Insects did not readily attack him. Brought up on strong German cheeses, he did not mind if the meat served us had spoiled. He rather liked the tangy flavor. And as for crowds, he loved them did not like to be alone, and traveling was nectar to him. He was never happier than when on a trip. I had been well taught the truth of identification with Christ. I knew these daily irritations and disagreeable things were opportunities to die, to flesh, and to sin. And I frantically reckoned myself dead. Romans 6.11 Still, I was hindered. At a God-given impulse to put my arm around some poor old Chinese woman, the flesh would inwardly shriek. Watch out, you'll get a louse. Everywhere, selfishness, self-pity would raise its ugly heads. I knew now that the scum had risen to the surface, and only the Lord could take it away. It was during my first term of service that Amy Carmichael's books were sent to me. I was thrilled with them, recognized her high standards of Christ's own, but was appalled at my own low level of living. In fact, her books discouraged me, for she never seemed to have any faults. This is the reason I'm recording this chapter, to register the Lord's patience and faithfulness to one who is not naturally heroic. Amy Carmichael said quite casually, everything personal had gone long ago, meaning that the self-life was under her feet before she even began her work at Donover. She had terrific battles, but they were with Satan, the Lord's own antagonist. Anything so elementary as selfishness never seemed to have troubled her. So I would get discouraged and put her books on the shelf saying, You're too high for me. I cannot attain that. But they fascinated and lured me. Even when they were shelved, the sight of them would send a rapier thrust to me. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. That was really what I wanted too. I did not want to be a clod. I would fall on my knees and weep before the Lord asking for his help. And never did I find myself spurned. He was firm in correcting me, but always loving. I have never attained the place where one is beyond the temptation of self. But I want to testify to what God can do to change a human being. One that found she was indeed scum. I was delighted one day when my attention was drawn to Galatians 2.8. For he that wroth effective in Peter, the same was mighty in me. Paul is not discussing victory over self in this verse, but the Lord was when it was pointed out to me. Peter had lots of self-life to battle, and Paul was not entirely without his own also. But he that wrought effectively in Paul was mighty also in me. God had to first bring me to the place where I was so exercised in spirit over producing so little fruit for him that nothing else mattered. Physical comforts did not matter if only souls could be born into his kingdom. Moreover, God brought me to the place where I was willing that the instrument he used to be, Someone else if necessary. I was willing not to be the one used if only he would permit me to see that souls were being born into his kingdom. Shortly after I surrendered that, he swung me into Lusulin where I felt at home for the first time in China. He even tenderly showed me little ways to make it easier for the flesh. Insect powders helped a bit against those tiny pests and he showed me other ways to overcome. Some of the changes he wrought in me are even funny. Here is one. When we were first married, we were invited one hot June day to dinner at a poor Christian's home. The flies were innumerable, the hut as usual like a junk shop, and through the open door came the odors of the nearby pigsty. Into such a setting brings my hostess a dish of large chunks of boiled pork fat, not a bit of lean. My stomach turned over. Oh, John, I whispered, do I have to eat this? I'll vomit, sure. Sure. With a gracious, nodding smile of thanks to our hostess, John deliberately picked up a big white chunk and placed it in my bowl, rice bowl as it were the dish delectable. At the same time, he said in English, when her back is turned, give it to the friend under the table. A mangy, mongrel dog, flea-laden for sure, had pressed up against my feet several times, so I knew whom he meant. I pushed some rice into my mouth, and at the moment when she was not looking, I tilted a chunk of fat below the table. A succulent licking of chops from below testified to the joy with which my offering was received. But believe it or not, he who was mighty in me gradually gave me a real liking for the pork fat. Considered a choice dish among the Lisu, as well as the country Chinese, it, it took time, of course, and cooler weather, but I found it a great lubricant for dry rice and still drier steamed corn of Lisu Lin, and in time learned to welcome it eagerly. I enjoyed its flavor. My dislike for traveling was changed too. I learned to look for the beauties of God and the scenery of which the providence of Yunnan and especially Lusulin was so rich. They are like the borderland of heaven. Always a passionate lover of beauty, I was given wonderful opportunities to adore God's thought as revealed in his creation. I kept a five-year diary as often looking back I had been in a different spot each year on a given day. So frequent and full of change was my life. Yet it had been joyous, filled with happy memories. And he who wrought effectively in Peter was mighty also in me. And he will be in you too. Across the will of nature leads on the paths of God. But we do not need to fear. He does not desert us when our old Adam nature must be crossed. Some, like Amy Carmichael, get it under their feet early. Others, like myself, try his patience painfully. But that patience never gives way and it never deserts. He that wrought effectively in Peter will be mighty also in you. And always God will relentlessly hold you to his highest. He wants your soul not only to be purged and clean, but with a bloom upon it. Oswald Chamber it the bloom of the touch of God. He says the true character of loveliness that tells for God is always unconscious. Conscious influence is preguish and unchristian. If I say, I wonder if I am of any use... I instantly lose the bloom of the touch of the Lord. George Matheson had a keen and discriminating word on how this bloom, this unself-consciousness is best obtained. He says, I hear thee speak of the forgetfulness of self. Yes, my soul, but the solemn question is the manner of thy forgetting. How wouldst thou forget? Shall it be by death or shall it be by life? Thou canst forget thyself by chloroform, but that is not greatness. It is the unconsciousness purchased by dying. I know of an unconscious purchased by living, living in the life of another. It is a thing called love. The branch could forget itself by being withered. It prefers to forget itself by being in the vine. He that wrought effectively in Peter will continue to work in us until he has formed in us that unconsciousness of self purchased by living, that bloom of the touch of the Lord. For the love of Him, our life lost in His. Next time, Chapter 5, Frustrations. I'm praying for you. I love you. Bye-bye for now.